0: a woman walked in, come back, and I just kind of turned around, there she was, and she, she's here today, said, we're in Lynchburg, everybody thinks God is sending them somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> this is honestly what I'm thinking, so I'm reaching for my checkbook, like, how much am I going to have to pay you to get you to leave right now, uh, but then she just kind of stopped me, and she's like, no, but but by God, I don't mean God of the Hindus, the Muslims, or Buddhists, but God, the Father of Jesus Christ, that died for your sins, And I had that same feeling, which now I recognize as the presence of God. Um, And I knew at that point that Jesus Christ was the answer. The problem was I grew up in religion where you just show up at church, you read the prayer out of the bulletin, you just try and be a good person, you do all these things. So that was all I knew. So that's what I did. I went back to um, a pretty orthodox church over on Timberlake, showed up read out of the bulletin, did all those things, and nothing was changing. And I was just getting really frustrated. And so I got invited here to Blue Ridge. And uh, a guy, Stephen Dunn, told his story, and it was really similar to mine. So I asked him if I could go to breakfast with him. He just happened to meeting Woody for breakfast. And this was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And so I sat down, and I didn't say anything for the first three times. And they were very gracious. They didn't make me say anything. And so finally after three times, we're like, Will, what's your deal? So I told him the story about the woman that came to my office, and like, really? You're just now telling us about this? And I was like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure all this out. I don't know what's going on. And Woody shared the gospel with me, and it made sense for the first time. And so I gave my life to Christ that day. And from then on, it's was just it been a purely experiential journey, journey for me, which is good, because if I went to a, a class and just studied it, it would have been like all the other school. It would have meant nothing to me. But with Woody, the journey has been very, very experiential, so we started meeting in restaurants with other guys, guys coming to Christ all over the place. Um, I started teaching in different areas. Dave showed up and started really investing in me as a teacher. And the rest is history. And that's how I ended up here at Blue Ridge and as a Christ follower. I've been here for about 10 years, and it's been awesome. Um,
1: So... I love all that because you took this all of the, the questions. This is the scary part. This, I know. I'm she scaring knows him. me. <laughs> um, as you were going from unbelief to belief, and you're going through all the questions that you'd had your whole life, I want to pick out the part of your story. Um, I know you, you talked about it a little bit, but can you really pinpoint what it was that moved you from unbelief into faith?
0: Sure. I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it went from being just kind of factual ideas to, and sometimes I hesitate to tell that story because for different people, it looks differently. But Jesus showed up in my life in a really practical way by sending the woman into the office, Mm -hmm. specifically answering the questions, and then immediately connecting me with community. Mm -hmm. But it was no longer like a religious factual check it was like i know crystal Mm -hmm. you know i I know her i've known her for years i could tell you stories about her so and all at once that's the way my relationship was with jesus it wasn't like he's some guy in the bible and i can tell you about him i knew him Mm -hmm. and he knew me so it it became a real relationship for me Mm -hmm. and that's key
1: that's awesome Mm -hmm. thanks will thank you for coming you did great thank you Awesome. So we're going to bookend our night tonight, guys, um, with stories, because what he said about the relationship part and the experience part is really true, and it's going to be key in what we talk about tonight. Um, On your notes, if you guys will go ahead and pull those out, um, there's a box at the top. We're going to have art class we're going to draw together, which is my favorite. I know. So much pressure, but I believe in you. Um, So I want you to draw in the middle of your box. I want you to draw a cloud. And then I want you to draw two lines coming out of it with arrows. And we're going to put faith on one end and unbelief. Wow, I should not have clicked my tongue on the other. (laughs) And then right here, we're going to put doubt. The cloud of doubt. Now, how many of you guys have thought before that this doubt equaled unbelief? Like, let me see some hands. Okay, so a lot of people. So tonight I want to clarify, guys, via scripture and via what we talk about, that doubt is not unbelief. Doubt can either lead you to no belief in God, or it can lead you to faith in God, depending on what you do with your questions. So we're going to start by reading a quote, and it's on your notes right underneath the box. Is everybody good with their drawing? Do you need a minute? Um, It is by C.S. Lewis, who started life as an atheist, actually. Um, I don't know how many of you guys knew that, but he was an atheist before he was a Christian. And he says this. He wrote this book called The Problem of Pain, and it's one of my favorite books in life ever because um, C.S. Lewis does not shy away from the hard questions. He goes right for what all of us are thinking, and he dives into it. And he says this. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. (sighs) Isn't that great? Um, I have heard this thought process. Um, I have felt this sometimes. Um, I think everyone has asked the question. And maybe you're asking it right now. um, If God is good... Why is there pain, and why is there suffering in the world? Or another way I've heard this asked is, um, if I were in charge, I would never send people to hell, and God is supposed to be love. So why does God, who is love, do that? There can be other smaller questions, like, why am I not able to get any traction in my life? Like, why do I just hit one wall after another wall? Um, What about questions that have to do with things in the Bible that you don't understand? or things in life that you don't understand. There's a ton of questions. All of us have questions, and if we don't have questions, we're probably not living in faith. We're probably just living in a box, or a routine, or a lifestyle, and we're not really concerned with what we're doing. Because don't we ask questions about what we care about, really? Like, if I care about my husband, I want to know how he's doing, how his day was. I want to know why he's upset. If we're caring about what we believe in, we're asking the questions. But it does feel a little awkward to ask this out loud in church, right? Like, don't you feel a little, like, clammy or sweaty, saying, like, oh, if God is love, why does he send people to hell but we're in church? Like, nobody tell the elders that she's saying this, you know? Um, But it's okay to doubt. And Jesus had a lot of people in his inner circle that asked hard questions. For example, Thomas. I don't know if some of you guys know the story of Thomas the Apostle, but he is called Thomas the Doubting Apostle because all he ever did was ask questions. And I love him for that because he asks the hard question that everyone is thinking, but like nobody's brave enough to say, like, (laughs) I can't go into it. It would be a whole other sermon, but like we'll have to go through it. It's in your homework, actually, so do your homework because there's some good stuff in there. Um, So when I was prepping for this talk, I kept asking God, like, how do I put this in visual terms because I'm a visual learner? Um, And I always want to see something that helps me like wrap my brain around an idea. Um, So here's our spectrum. And at one point or another, like we've talked about, we're all going to be in this cloudy area right here. I want this closer. We're all going to be in doubt. And we're probably going to be in doubt more than once in our lives. Um, So here's what we, we need to know, starting with doubt. The first thing is that we have limited understanding. We don't know everything. We're always discovering new science new information, new experiences. We're learning things that we didn't know before as a human race. We have a lack of knowledge. We don't know everything about ourselves or our world or the universe. The second thing is that truth is not afraid of examination. Asking questions is okay. You have to ask questions to learn. You have to ask questions to find out. If something needs to be hidden, or there needs to be an excuse made for it, it's not truth. And we want to find the truth. If God is real, then he is not afraid of my questions. So as I look at this spectrum, my first question is actually, so how do we turn a question, a doubt, into unbelief or into faith? And I want to go back to the quote and the question I read to you guys at the beginning of the talk, um, which was, if God was good, he would want to make his creatures happy. And I could give you guys the theology of sin, we could talk about creation and the fall and Adam and Eve, and all of that is true and it's theology and it's real, and it affects our lives now, because when sin entered the world, everything went into a disaster mode. But when I've heard that question before, it's never come, in my experience, and my experience is limited, but it's not come normally from more than one of two places, one place is a place of genuine grief. You have encountered something really difficult and you want an answer for it. So think of the thing that you last read or you last experienced that moved you in grief in that way, where you were just broken. And out of that, quest, out of that place, a lot of people ask this question about God's goodness. The other place this question can be asked out of is a hard heart, because there's something happening that we're involved in something we want to keep, something we want to do. And so saying that God, saying that my happiness and God's goodness have to equate um, gives us permission in a lot of ways to participate in in what we want to do. So he tells us the truth about consequences, but we say his goodness is not good because it denies us what we want. So C.S. Lewis answers his his question a little bit further on in the problem of pain. And I'm going to read it to you guys. It's the next quote in your notes. And he says, by the goodness of God, we mean nowadays almost exclusively his lovingness. And in this, we may be right. And by love, in this context, most of us mean kindness. The desire to see others than the self happy. Not happy in this way or in that way, but just happy." what would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they're content? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. Not many people would formulate a theology in precisely those terms, but a concept not very different lurks at the back of many minds. So what he's saying there is that all of us, whether we really realize it, vocalize it, come to this place at some point in our lives where we want God to just want us to be happy. And so when that question of God's goodness and our happiness becomes the reason not to move toward God, it becomes unbelief. So when the question becomes the reason not to move towards God, it becomes unbelief. So on your little thing, whoo, I cannot spell reason. That's a problem. Thank you. I'm blonde, guys. You'll have to go with me. Okay, unbelief. Does that make sense? So it's not wrong to ask the question, but when the question becomes the reason, then it's unbelief. And doubt becomes unbelief when we use it as an excuse not to move. So this is a little bit different, and it's interesting to like look at the difference in the two. Because you can say, I want to know the answer, and then you might get the answer. But the answer that you're looking for is not the one you want. And so it's more comfortable to ask the question again, and ask the question again, and ask the question again, because we don't want to move on the answer. And so it's not just a reason, but it's an excuse to move towards unbelief. So for example, like what if I sat in my house and I prayed every day, God, I wanna serve you, give me opportunities. And then I went out and yelled at my cashier at Walmart and flipped off every car that drove by me on the road and told my friend who explained that she was in need of groceries, and they didn't have any money this month, that, dude, that sucks. I'm so sorry. And then I went shopping for new clothes for myself. And then I went back to church on Sunday and prayed for God to give me opportunities to serve him. So what is that situation, scenario? What I'm saying is, God, I want to know how to serve you. What he's saying is, go love your neighbor. He's given me the answer to my question, but I keep asking it because my desire is just to do what I want to do. It's an excuse. So what do we do if we feel stuck in unbelief? There's an interesting situation here because I think there's some genuine people who live here and I have lived here where you want want the answer, but you also feel kind of stuck in this, and you're like, ah, I want to move this way, but I feel like this, and I don't know how to get out of this reasoning in my head. I just don't know how to do it. So let's look at Mark 9. And to give you guys some context, this is a story about a little boy who was demon-possessed, and um, the boy is coming to Jesus for healing, <clears throat> and the father comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's really important, guys. Um, And this is a prayer I've prayed in my heart and in my life over and over again, and I'm still using. So I want you guys to underline where it says, help me overcome my unbelief. I think sometimes we think that God is, like, not aware of our questions. Um... That he doesn't know the turmoil that's on the inside, but he does. He knows it before we tell him. He knows he cares, and he answers a cry from the heart to help us move from unbelief to faith. And I think as we were listening to Will's story, um, and he was in that searching place, and in that searching phase, and he didn't know how to move from one place to the other, God answered him with that woman who came into his office and gave him everything that he needed. But as we live practically, whether we are belonging to Jesus or whether we're just um, trying to figure out if he's real, this is a really genuine place to come to God. And guys, we can always be genuine when we come to God. We can always say, this is the real thing. This is how I really feel. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, the second half of your notes on the other page, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. What's the promise there, guys? God will never forsake us when we're seeking him with a genuine heart. We don't have to have abundant, overflowing feelings of trust and gratefulness and faith and belief. We don't have to have those things to move towards God. And we think, I know we think, because I think it sometimes too, that we do. We can't move unless we feel. Not true. Because if we're not moving towards God... It won't be very long before we're down here. And these things are the things that are keeping us where we are. God will answer a genuine cry, and he will take your heart, and he will change it from the inside out. If you say, I can't get out of this place of unbelief, and I want to, I need your help. He wants to answer that. (coughs) So ask the questions. We're gonna take a pause here, and we're gonna do... um, Let's see. I don't know. Does someone know what time it is? Eight o'clock. Perfect. We're going to go to like 820. 825. 825. Um, and we're going to ask this question. What are the doubts that we are struggling with that keep us from moving towards God where we're at right now? It doesn't matter where we are. You can be like 20 years into your relationship with Jesus or you can be like, I haven't even started one yet. Both places are valid and all of us this doesn't change. That's kind of good news and kind of bad news. You learn to trust God more, and so it gets easier to move from doubt to faith. But if you're not asking questions, you're not having a relationship with a person, a relationship with someone who loves you. Um, So go ahead, converse, and I'll come back at 820, and we'll keep going about how to move from here to here. Okay, I love to hear the conversation and the laughing. I love to hear you guys talking. That's great, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay, so what is the word we've been using a lot in our conversation about doubt and questions? Does anybody know? The word? What? The question is, has anyone been hearing the word that we've been using a lot as we've been talking about doubt and unbelief and faith? Those are good words. Not quite. <laughs> I, can, I know, the teacher's like, I know, I know, pick me. <laughs> the word is movement. Yes. So faith requires movement. So we've talked about what happens and how we get from doubt to unbelief. In order to get from doubt to faith, that requires us to move now here's the question do we move before we have the answers maybe Um, that story that we talked about in Mark of the little boy and his dad and his dad was like I don't know if you can do this and Jesus was like what do you mean if I can and then he was like I don't know help me Um, that's the crystal translation please don't repeat that (laughs) Um, That same story is in Matthew, but at the end of that story in Matthew, they put a little, or Matthew writes a little piece of conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, and he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So what Jesus is saying is that that man's little mustard seed of faith And I meant to put mustard seeds on your tables tonight and totally forgot. Mustard seeds are like the tiniest seed. They're so small, you guys. It's like hard to see. It's like a speck. It's super little. And so Jesus is saying that speck of faith was the Father saying to him, help me in my unbelief. And that is all you need. That is all you need to move from doubt to faith. It's just enough to say, help me, Lord. So twice now, he said that nothing is impossible for those who believe. But what does that mean practically? Because if you guys are like me, I'm like, "Mm, okay, so I get that I need to ask for help in my unbelief or in my doubt. But then what does that mean for like real life and moving into faith? James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. So what is scripture saying again that faith looks like? Action, moving, doing. And if you've grown up in church or if you've grown up in Blue Ridge, you'll have heard one of two theories. One theory is that you get to heaven and you get to God and you get to Jesus by doing good things, which is, by the way, not true, And then you've heard the only way to step into relationship with God is just giving yourself to him, surrendering your life and saying, it's yours, I'm yours. And that is true. So how does this make sense? We talked about in free speech earlier this year that your mouth reflects what your heart believes, that your words reflect what your heart thinks, right? In the same way, what you do in your life reflects what your heart believes. So... Like I, I gave you like the silly example of like I want to serve you God, but then I go out and treat everybody like crap in my life, my actions reflect what's in my heart, not what my mouth is saying. Does that make sense? So if what you believe doesn't affect your life, your choices, your decisions, and your behavior, you don't actually believe it. So if you're looking for someone whose faith is real, and we can be honest for a second, we've all known people who've said, I love Jesus so much. And then they live a life that we're like, no, you definitely do not. You know, maybe you know them, maybe you've been hurt by them. We've all been there. So again, if what you believe doesn't affect your life, you don't believe it. If Jesus doesn't have ownership of your life, then you're not, you're not believing in him as your savior. We can't logic God out. He's a person to be experienced. So the next fill in the blank is that God is a person to be experienced, not an idea to be logic. Is logic a word? Thank you. Cool. I'm just full of good grammar tonight, you guys. This podcast is going to be so fun. How do we spell logic? I don't know. Let's just find out. L O G. I-C-E-D? K? C-K? Do what you feel. I don't, C-K. Okay, do, it, do what makes you feel right with the spelling. Yeah. So here's the difference, guys. Here's the difference between logicing him out and experiencing him, and it's what Will talked about in his story. Logicking, logicking, God out. What? Logistically analyzing God. Reasoning. I like my word better. <laughs> the great debate. Thank you. Thank you for your help, guys. Honestly, we're just going to move on. <laughs> so, how do we reason God out? And how do we know that we're doing that? That is when we know a lot of things about God. We know about who he is. We know about what he says he can do. We know things about him, but what we know about him is not affecting our life. That is reasoning God out. That is not a relationship with him. A relationship with him is what Will described. When you give your life, your choices, your will, your control... You're we talking about control at my table. I struggle with that. If anyone else here does, we can have a support group. <laughs> um He's a person to be experienced. God will not give you what you want, He will give you what you need. And then what you want will come along the way because He'll change your desires to be what He wants them to be. And that is better than anything that we want for ourselves. So Hebrews one. Hebrews 11.1 says this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what does that verse say about faith? Does it say faith is having answers and then doing what we want to do with those answers? No. No, it's not. Faith is moving when we don't understand what's going on towards God. That doesn't feel good. (laughs) That's not having a plan. Sometimes God gives you a plan. Sometimes he gives you the next step. Sometimes he gives you the next minute or hour in your life. But moving towards faith is saying, my questions exist, but I choose to believe. I choose to move. We're going to dig into Daniel chapter 3. And I debated this because I'm giving you the whole chapter. It's going to be beautiful. And I debated this because I have to read a lot of this, and I was like, that's not going to be so beautiful. So I think what I'm going to do, actually, I'm changing this on her at the last minute. I think I'm going to tell the first half of the story and then read the second half. We can do it. Okay. So what's happening is the Jews are in Babylon, and there's three guys, four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—Are they not the worst baby names like you've ever heard? Daniel's all right, but Shadrach and Meshach. Um, these four guys are Jews, and they're living in captivity in Babylon. And God has said, "You cannot worship any other gods as a Jew. You have to worship Me." So King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, has made this ro- this huge statue of gold, really tall. And he's put it in the middle of like this grassy area. And he's told all of his high officials, including these four men, to go and bow down to this statue and worship it, which sounds weird in our culture, but if you have been to countries that practice Hinduism or anything that has a statue involved in it, that makes a lot of sense, and it's still happening in our world today. So they were supposed to, as soon as they heard like, music play, fall down and worship the statue. And so we're going to pick up the story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not choosing to do this. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So the punishment for not falling down and worshipping the statue was to be thrown into basically an oven, like a huge oven. So it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up there. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, Your Majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So what's happened is there's this huge, like I think of it as like a kiln, like something that you bake clay in. It's huge. It's filled with wood. He's heated up basically as hot as it can go, so hot that the soldiers that were carrying them up there died from heat exhaustion or exposure or whatever. They've been thrown in, and somehow he can see into, there must have been a window or something, and he sees four men walking around in the fire. So then it says, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and then it lists off a whole bunch of advisors. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. The robe was not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So what happened? Those three men said, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this decision. Our God is able to save us, and then I love this, but even if he does not, I will not choose this. They had no guarantees. Their decision was dramatic, and it was life or death, and they chose God. They just had faith. We don't have those dramatic decisions most of the time in our lives, but we have little decisions, and then we have some bigger ones, and we don't have guarantees, except that God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he said, I'll be with you always, and he says, when you seek me, you find me. So we have our questions, and we have the option to move when he asks us to move. You can only experience God when you do what that father did in that story in Mark. He cried out for help in his unbelief. So telling the truth about our hearts and asking Jesus for help that only he can give is absolutely the best option in that place. That father doubted that Jesus could help his son. He said, if you can. But where was he? He had questions, but he wasn't sitting at home with his questions. He was at the feet of Jesus, asking for help. He didn't let his questions keep him from moving. Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced one of the most amazing stories in scripture, a miracle, because they believed in his love without guarantees. We're going to read the last scripture, which is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And it says, Therefore, that the scripture describes watching us live our lives for Jesus. It's that father who doubted but came. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're human, just like us, and they're our examples. And I, like, imagine in my mind that they're shouting at us as we come to a crossroads of decision, and they're saying, don't wait, move. They're saying, God has got you in this, believe. Believe. They're shouting at us to go and to keep going and to step forward with our doubt, with our questions, but throwing off the weight that they want to drag us down with. I'm going to invite Kate to come up and share a little bit of her story and her journey with doubt. Kate is one of our crash leaders. I've known her for almost three years, two years, I don't know, a while, three, cool. You go. Um, Crystal asked me just to share a little
2: bit of my season of doubt with you and just how I moved through that. Um, and just to start out, I guess it started with me questioning God's goodness and, um, yeah, like why, in his goodness in asking us to live for him instead of ourselves. It looked better to me to live for myself. Um, and from there I went to doubting his existence. Um, and he kind of brought me through those two things and I thought it was good and then it was, um, doubting my ability to surrender to Him and be genuine in that, um, like, what if I change my mind later? How do I, how do I do that genuinely? Um, so that process for me um, was like a year and a half um, about like actively dealing with that, and then I think it was like January that I was able to surrender, but it was September that I was baptized. So it was a long process, um, but He was really faithful in bringing me through it. Um, As so I tried to think of things. <laughs> Um, to share. I didn't want it to be like a a to-do list of like, do these things and it'll take care of it. Um, For me, like I was heading that way with my doubt into unbelief and I feel like um, on my own I would not have have moved and been able to turn around and God I think it was slow but he kind of picked me up and turned me around um, to head towards faith. So I think the big thing um, for me was asking God for help. Um, I remember Woody saying something about you can't get where you want to go until you know where you are. So recognizing, like, I was doubting and asking these questions and then just talking to him. I feel like I talked to him in the car a lot, out loud. Um, <laughs> and, um, just asking for help and saying, I can't do this, but I want to. Um, will you will you help me believe? Um, and he, he did. Like, it was, it was slow, but there were things he brought to mind and there were conversations and experiences. Um, one big one for me was him reminding me of things he had already done in my life that I just kind of forgot about. Um, but as I look back, it was... I couldn't deny that he had done those things. Um, Another thing for me, for a while I didn't share it with anybody, and I felt like either I was going to burden people or cause them to doubt or just what they would think of me. Um, But as I brought it into the light, um, some of the things, just saying it out loud and having somebody hear me, um, I realized what I thought made sense in my head was completely wrong, but it took me saying it out loud. Other times people, I didn't see it, but they spoke truth into me, and a lot of you guys here did that. Um, And... Yeah, it just kept me from going into this, like, downward spiral of um, being stuck in these, my own thoughts that really didn't make sense but made sense in this little bubble in my head. Um, and people didn't try to, like, fix it for me. I just They let me wrestle through it, but they loved me through it. Um, another thing for me was staying in community, um, seeking God and scripture, um, and just stepping into things as He. I felt like he led me to do things. So one of those was Nicaragua. Um, I didn't know where I was going, I was doubting completely, um, I didn't have anything to give, um, but on that trip I met people, um, like we talked about women coming out of prostitution and then going right back into it, um, and solutions like offering other jobs and then they, they just go back in a cycle, um, but with New Image, I saw, um, as women met Jesus, like, that broke that cycle and it was a sustainable change and they didn't circle back in, um, but he changed them and I wanted that in me, um, So getting to see that in other people's lives, not just looking back on what he'd done in me in the past. Um, So that was really big. Um, And then I think the last thing was um, just looking, this is kind of related, but looking at scripture, I went through encounter, um, and just looking at who Jesus is and what he asks of us, I had kind of twisted it up and thought surrender was optional. Um, And so looking at scripture and realizing, no, it's not optional, um, not really understanding still exactly um, all the time why, I needed to do that, but, but also in there seeing, like, God is good, and if he loves us, then we can trust him, um, and so, so moving into that, um, was a process for me too, um, but just in that realizing that I was wrong on some things that I thought I was right on, um, with the, with the, the lies and confusion of, like, doubting his existence, I was in a bubble, and it made sense to me, and then realizing, oh, like, there's evidence against that, but I didn't see it, like, not holding my, my logic so highly, um, but being willing to, to consider that I was wrong on some things, or the surrender thing, all those things. So now, like when a question comes up, um, there's a saying of like, if you want to understand God, you have to stand under Him. And so I feel like I come to God and I say, this doesn't make sense, but I know you're good. Um, either can you help me understand, or can you help me trust, um, even if I don't understand? Um, so, and then the last thing for me um, was baptism, and I think for me that was that that last doubt for me was how do I genuinely surrender? What if I doubt later? What if I decide you don't exist next year? How is this genuine? Um, and so understanding that, that faith is a gift, but then the ability to continue on in faith is a gift too. Um, for me, that was just a really big picture of how big his grace is, that like if grace is doing what we can't do for ourselves, not only um, just in being able to believe, but in being able to continue on in belief. Um, so our table talks a lot about Philippians 1.6 and he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So just holding on to that. Um, so baptism for me was kind of a point in time um, and an act of obedience to say, I'm trusting you with this. Like, I'm surrendering, but I'm trusting you to enable me to do it. So, yeah.
1: I had the privilege of being one of the people that had conversations with Kate during that year and a half. And to tell you guys that her story is one of my favorite stories in Crash, that's really true because I've seen her ask the hard questions and then do this move when God asked her to move and then see her experience him. And that difference that we've talked about tonight where we're not going to logic God out, but we're going to experience him and we're going to surrender ourselves to him because he knows better, that is what faith is. It's not that complicated, but it does require us to surrender our pride, to surrender our will, to surrender our rights. None of that is comfortable, but all of that is true, and all of that is the way to where we ultimately want to go, which is goodness, which is peace, which is the life, not that we want to have, but the life that we need, and a fulfilling life. So um, I'm going to invite the band. There they are. (laughs) We're going to sing a couple of songs, and then we're going to pray together corporately. So if you haven't done that before, don't worry. We're going to walk through it together.